So today uh, we're going to continue this little series called Seismic Prayer, and it's about prayer, obviously, and, and about the power of prayer, and you get the idea about seismic prayer, because seismic activity is something that happens underneath the surface that we cannot see, but it has major consequences on everything around them. I was told after the last service, a gentleman that was recently out in California, and he saw a news article about one of the quakes they had out in California. It was a 7.1 in Riverside uh, that happened, and he said that, that the news report talked about how there were 110,000 aftershocks after that quake, 110,000 aftershocks. So you want to talk about movement of the earth and about the ripple effects of that movement. Prayer is like that. It's something that we do that sometimes we don't give credit to. Sometimes we're unbelieving. We're, I'm not sure about, about what kind of impact prayer has on anything. But I just want to remind you today that, that why is it that we should think that we would be able to understand prayer? Because we don't understand God. We don't know all the things about God. We don't know everything there is to know about God. But, but just because I don't know exactly how God works doesn't mean that I don't want to believe in God. The evidence of God is in my life. I've given my life to Jesus Christ. I hope you've done the same. But that, that, that love, that life has changed me. And because of that, uh, I want to make sure that people know that the power of transformation comes from God's love in Jesus Christ. And prayer is a powerful instrument of God. L let me ask it to you this way. How many of you have TVs? Raise your hand if you have a TV. All right? Almost everybody. Maybe a few sleepers out there. Okay. We got... Everybody's got a TV. Now, how many of you, raise your hand if you know how the TV works. Okay. All right. So a bunch of you do. A bunch of you are engineers and understand how the TV works, how the signals get there right. But for those of us that are not engineers, I just got to tell you, I don't understand how a TV works. Now, I turn it on, and I maybe sometimes can use the remote to make it work, right? Can I get an amen for that? Right? But, hey, let's just be honest and say, you know what, just because... I don't, uh, because I don't understand how the TV works doesn't mean I'm not going to watch the TV. And, and just because I may not know and understand everything there is to know about prayer doesn't mean I shouldn't pray. The Bible makes it very, very clear. We should be people who are praying. And so seismic prayer is about the importance of us praying. And, and, and last week I began this little series that we're reminded of a story out of Acts 4 when Peter and John healed a crippled guy. And because of that, they got in big trouble with the religious leaders. They got actually thrown into prison. They got put on trial the next day, and they were told before they released, don't use the name of Jesus ever again. And what did they do? Peter and John, what did they do? They went to their friends, other believers, and as a result of that, they prayed. And it was amazing what happened when they prayed. So I'm going to read to you the prayer uh, that I read to you last week, but just to kind of pick up from where we left off. This is Acts chapter 4, verses 24 through 31. I invite you to listen for the word of the Lord. When they heard the reports, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this city, this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. 
Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through this name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Let the people of God say amen and amen. Now, wouldn't we agree that if we went to a prayer meeting like that, that we'd probably come the next night for another prayer meeting? Wouldn't that be amazing to be at a prayer meeting and the place literally shakes? How amazing that would be. And we would be misinformed if we thought that every time the New Testament church got together that that kind of activity happened, but uh, because it didn't. We don't have the witness of the scripture that says that happened every time they got together to pray. But it does say very clearly that there was plenty of this kind of thing that did happen. There was some measure of frequency with which this kind of shaking went on. And it came because they were united in prayer around the person of Jesus, and they were pleading with God because they were saying, God, we need your supercharged Holy Spirit to help us in this situation. We need you to step in because we cannot resolve this situation that is before us on our own. And the Bible is clear that when people ask God to intervene and they gather together for prayer, that amazing things happen. Look at the example of what happens from the next couple of verses. I, I just finished reading at verse 31. I'm going to pick up and read in verse 32 through 34. L listen to the fuller report about what went on. It says, all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give those in need. Isn't that amazing? All of them were united in heart and mind. They shared everything they had. They testified, which means they spoke. They spoke boldly to the power of God, to the power of Jesus Christ. There were no needy people because they were tending to the needs of the needy people. And as it says, as a result, God's blessing was upon them. All of this, the result of people coming together simply to pray. And the story continues to unfold. In fact, you could say that the remainder of the book of Acts is really an unfolding of this story about how God moves in power when we gather together to pray. Listen to the fifth chapter beginning in verse 14 of Acts. It says, Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats, so Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and it says, they were all healed. Can the church say amen? What a profound statement about the impact of this. And as a result of the apostles' work, can you get this picture about how everyone was aflame with the fire of the Holy Spirit and people that didn't know about Jesus and didn't understand about Jesus, they wanted to know more. And they were bringing their friends, they were bringing their neighbors, they were bringing their relatives to experience the healing that comes from Jesus. <clears throat> Imagine this sight of people going into their houses and bringing out somebody that's on a mat or literally bringing out their bed and placing it on the ground, hoping that Peter would walk by so that his shadow 
would touch them, believing that the shadow even would transform a person's life who has been sick and needed healing. There is great movement, great power that flows out of this prayer meeting. And it all started because of a confrontation that Peter and John had with the leaders. And that came as a result of Peter and John healing a crippled man who was crippled from birth. And crowds came. And because of this miracle, they listened to Peter as he preached. And it says that 2,000 came to Christ as a result of that preaching. Think about that. About 2,000 people suddenly transformed by the power of God, accepting Jesus into their hearts and lives. What an amazing transformation it would be. Just a couple of weeks earlier, on Pentecost, it says there were 3,000 that came to faith that day. And here, as a result of this prayer and the power of it, 2,000 more. Within the first few weeks after Jesus rose from the dead, 5,000 people are already people of faith. The work of God is exploding on the landscape of the region. So we have to acknowledge that this prayer meeting came as a result of a crisis in the church. They didn't know how to go forward. And they knew, they, that knew, they knew that they needed to do the one thing that they could do, and that was go to God and say, God, we don't have the ability to do anything about this situation. We have to depend on you to do it. And because of it, things were changed. They recognized that they needed God to intervene. And <clears throat> speaking of God intervene, I, I hope that you'll come next Sunday. We're going to pause this little series on prayer because next Sunday, Stanley and Mary Jatari are going to be here from Kenya. And they're going to be telling the story about what's been going on in Kenya since they were last here and talk about the gift that Lighthouse has made to the school there and just kind of get you up to speed about everything that's going on. But part of what is so amazing about Stanley and Mary is that they know firsthand about the power of what happens when people, when God intervenes, when, when people depend on God intervening, it changes their society. And there's such a movement of the Spirit of God that's going on in Kenya. And, and Lighthouse is a part of that movement because of what you're doing. So I hope that you'll be here next week. So as we think about seismic prayer today, I want to talk with you about how important it is for you and I to be shaken up. Shaken up. For the Holy Spirit to redesign us. And with the World Series getting ready to start on Tuesday between the Astros and the Nationals, one of the things we know about baseball is that baseball has this, this uh, designated hitter, right? And the designated hitter is a person who you would understand is probably somebody who can hit the ball pretty well, right? But they're the replacement for the pitcher. And as a result of that, uh, teams can finally maybe get ahead to win a game. But I want, I'm bringing up this illustration about the designated hitter with the World Series coming to, to maybe draw a little bit of a metaphor between what happens w with the designated hitter and what happened in the prayer room that day because I believe that that prayer room was filled with designated hitters. There were people who were sold out for Jesus. There were people who were sold out to depend on God. And as a result of that, because they were all designated hitters, God moved and shook their world. Not just the world around them, but themselves as well. And some of us in this room probably need to be shaken up today. The Bible says that when God's people gather for prayer, something happens. A revealing of God's power. So when you look at this passage and you look at the consequences of it, what you find out is that the place was shaken. And I talked to you last week about this verb 
for shaken one. Let's talk a little bit more about it. The verb shaken in the original language is, is, a, is a word that we would understand. It, just like the room would shake, we would speak about it that way. But there was other shaking that goes on in what the scriptures tell us. Do you remember what happened the day that Jesus died? Do you remember that when Jesus died, it says that the earth shook. There was a shaking of the earth that took place when Jesus died. And oh, by the way, three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. Can you say amen? amen. And on that day, when, when Jesus rose from the dead, guess what happened that day too? It says the earth shook again. And you know, there's another time that hasn't happened yet when the earth is going to shake at least once more. And that shaking is that day when Jesus will return. Because someday Jesus will return. And it says, the Bible does, that when he returns, the earth will shake. There will be a shaking that will be going on. People will know that something is getting ready to happen. It's a shaking that comes from God. And sometimes we need to be shook up, you and I. Sometimes we need to be thinking about the ways that we need to change our lives in order to be closer to God. It's the shaking of an individual. And sometimes the shaking of an individual is, is, is so important for us because it shakes us off the foundation that we're on. If we're not on the right foundation, you know what? God can push you or me to move our house, if you will, in a different direction. And, and let me be gentle with this and say that some of you may feel like you're being, being pushed off your foundation today. That there's things that are going on in your life. Things that are happening in your world that you feel like your house is crumbling. And, 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 and it could very well be that God has put some trials in your path because God wants your life to be directed in a different way. To get your foundation right. That it's not based on the right thing. Think about a house. You've seen images like this before, right? Where there's a flood. And a house literally gets moved off the foundation. Hard for us to imagine that. But think about this as an apt image for what happens when we pray. That if our house is not built on the right foundation, that God knows how to move us in a different direction. So on that day when they prayed, the room was shaken, but surely everybody in that room was shook as well. And they were seeking a new foundation. They were wanting to base their lives on the person of Jesus Christ. So I want to invite you to think about your life. Would you be so bold as to think about your life? Would, would you have the audacity to think to yourself, is my life truly based on Jesus or not? Because if it's not, if your heart is not intended to serve Jesus, then you're in the wrong foundation. And there, there are trials that are coming your way that you don't even know about that are simply a result of you not having the right foundation of your life. Does your house need to be moved off of a shaky foundation? Moved from an unworthy, destructive, disintegrating foundation into another foundation that is stable and settled? This is part of the intent of this verb, shaken. It's about the room, but it's also about the individual. Does your world need to be shaken up? Do you need to be shaken up? Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7? He, he taught about how one person built their house on a rock and another person built their house on the sand. And you guys, it's, it's, it's a great illustration, right? Great image. We get, if you build a house on sand, boy, that house is probably not going to last very long because it doesn't have the right foundation. Building a house on the rock is the right foundation. And the rock is who? It's Jesus. Building our house on Him. Maybe 
maybe you're struggling today because you feel like your house is being pushed in the wrong direction, or maybe your house is being is crumbling down. But I want to suggest to you that maybe that's God working in your life, trying to get your life reordered to be put in the right position. Does your life need shaking? You see, this movement that we're speaking about, that we're thinking about, this movement that comes through prayer is about a spiritual movement. It's about spiritual activity going on in us and around us. Think about another time. It, this is also from Matthew 7. Uh, when, when John the Baptist is in prison and John has heard about Jesus and he's heard about the things that he's doing and John asks his followers, his disciples, to go find Jesus and ask Jesus, are you the guy? Are you the Messiah, the promised one? Are you the one that's to come? John's hopeful. He's thinking, yeah, it's got to be. So John's disciples go and they find Jesus and they ask Jesus, are you the one? And Jesus doesn't respond by saying yes. He could have just given him a simple yes, couldn't he? But instead, he says, look at the evidence of my life. Jesus says, go and tell John the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the dead are raised. In other words, what more proof do you want that I am the Messiah? And Jesus turns to the disciples then, his, the disciples of John. He turns to those people and he says, what did you come out here looking for when you were chasing after John? Jesus said, did you expect to see a reed shaken by the wind? And you get the image, right, of a reed, a reed shaken by the wind. It blows, right, but it doesn't break. And this concept, this verb, shaken, is here used again. And, and it's a way for Jesus to say what you thought about John is, is not true. You thought you were going to see a sideshow, but John is the real deal. He is a reed that is shaken but not destroyed. His world had been shook up. And this reed shaken is the same verb used about the room shaken, and it depicts things that don't break but bend. And this is about the bending or yielding that happens when we come to God in prayer. That what we're doing is we're trying to bend ourselves. We're trying to bend our lives to be more uh, closely following after Jesus when we pray. And there's this, there's this divine shakeup that happens when we pray. And when this shakeup happens, our resistance goes down. When the shakeup happens, we begin to realize that we need to not fight God anymore about whatever issue is in our lives. We need to give it over to God and trust that God's going to show us the way through whatever challenge it is that we're facing. This, this shakeup it didn't happen for the people that were accusing Peter and John, but it says that everybody else got shook up because they believed. They believed that an outbreak of God was, was about to happen. And because of that, they believed that God could not be denied. Something so revealing, something so rejuvenating, something so deep uh, that the people found themselves speechless to talk about what was going on because their lives had been so changed. And this is what happens when the church gathers together to pray. People are changed. And this is why, uh, as I said last week, I'm calling our church to enter into the new year in a new way, in a new season uh, of declaring that 2020, or 2021, no, that's 20, 20 is next year, sorry. We're, I, got, I got a year ahead of myself. That 2020, that we're going to begin the year together fasting on New Year's Day. And what a great day to fast, 
right after all the Christmas stuff, because everybody wants to fast on New Year's Day anyway, right? And, and, and so we're going to begin the year together seeking spiritual deepness, and that is, that's why I'm calling you to join me in this fast of 21 days. And on the 8th of January, I'm inviting you, I'm calling you to come into this room uh, on that Wednesday night, January the 8th, and we're going to have a time of prayer and worship. And it's just going to be about pleading for God to intervene in our lives, in our society, in our church, to, to make sure that God knows that we want Him to change us. And so if, if you don't show up on January 8th, let me suggest to you that maybe you think you don't need to be changed. And maybe that's the problem with your life, is that you think you, you've got it all figured out and you've got all the answers. But being a Christ follower is, is de facto, uh, uh, it, it means that we have given up the, the leadership of our lives to Jesus Christ. Because we've said, God, I, I can't do it myself. I need you desperately. So we're going to begin the year praying together. And by the way, I want to say thank you to many of you. Last week or last couple of weeks, there have been people wandering around the lobby, uh, passing out little cards, asking people if they would be willing to pray for one of our students in our student ministry here at Lighthouse. And I think there were 70 cards. Is that right, Garrett? 70 cards. And are they all gone? They're all gone. Let the church say amen. amen. Praise God. Thank you. Excuse me. Thank you for recognizing and understanding the power and importance of prayer and for praying for one of the students. I believe that if you've signed up to pray for a student, you're going to be involved in helping change that student's life for the work and purposes of God. So part of the point of exploring these passages of prayer is that I want you to think in terms of the Lord calling you and me together to pray in a special way. It's about the power of the church praying together. And I wonder how many of us, if we were called on to pray right now, we might say, well, I, I can't really pray. You might say, well, look, I, I believe in prayer. I pray, but maybe you should ask someone else to pray because I'm, well, I'm, I'm not, it's not that I'm unbelieving. I know the Lord has answered some of my prayers, but I'm not very eloquent. I can't really speak it very well. I don't understand the things of God very well. I, I feel like maybe I'm just a little grain of sand. How can I pray? And you might say, don't get me wrong. I love the Lord, but I don't feel adequate as a person of faith. And let me say to you, if, if that's the camp that you're in, what you're doing is you're denying yourself the power of prayer because you're, you're not basing your prayer life on who you are. You're basing it on who you think you are. Because there's a big difference between who you are in, in your own eyes and the way that God sees you. Now, we would all say, right, we would all say, I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm a broken person. I'm very inadequate. How in the world can I come to God? And very often when we go to God in prayer, it diminishes our ability to have a connection with God because we think we're so inadequate. Because, by the way, we are. But that's why God sent Jesus, right? So that we would become adequate because of Jesus. So there's a big difference between the way we see ourselves and the way God sees us. God sees you as his perfect child. Do you know that about you? God sees you as his perfect child. And maybe that's the one thing that you need to hear today. Because you, you've been down on yourself, you feel inadequate, you feel worthless, you feel beat down. Don't let the evil one win the day by 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 convincing you that, you're, that you are worthless, because you're not. 
You were bought with a price, a huge price, the cost of God's only son, Jesus Christ. And, and, and so because of Jesus living in us, God doesn't see us as we see ourselves. God sees us differently. God sees us through the eyes of Jesus. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees the perfection that lives in you. He sees Jesus in you. And so when he looks at you, he sees you as his perfect child. So when the church gathers for prayer, there is power that manifests itself in the praying. And the evidence of it we find later in the book of the fourth chapter of Acts and the fifth chapter of Acts and going forward, as I said, the, the room where they prayed was filled with power because they were dependent on God that day. And when God looks at us, everyone is clothed with power because of the righteousness of God. So I want to ask you to humor me, or I want to, yeah, I want to ask you to humor me for a few moments as we think about what it means to be clothed in prayer, clothed in God's power. When God looks at us as we gather before the throne of God, we are all clothed with righteousness. Isaiah 61 tells us that we put on, when we come to God, we put on garments of salvation, the robes of righteousness. This is not something we do on our own. We can't provide the, the robes of righteousness on our own. Before God, we are naked in our sin. But when the Lord clothes us, we can come without embarrassment to the throne. And if you have integrity in your personality, if you're willing to be honest with yourself, you are aware of the greatness of God, and you are also aware of your inadequacy. But I want to invite you today to stop thinking of yourself as you see yourself, but instead think of yourself in the way that God sees you. God is saying to us, I will clothe you if you'll just come to me. You, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are clothed with the garments of salvation, the robes of righteousness. Can you say amen? If you receive the gift of God's love, you are made righteous. But if you have never received the gift of God's love, never felt what it's like to be forgiven of your sins, never known the feeling of what it means to be impregnated with the vision of what heaven will be like, then today would be a great time for you to make that decision. Whether you're in this place or whether you're watching online, I want to invite you to understand the importance of making a decision to become a follower of Jesus. Because we need that kind of friend. You and I are the same. We are sinners. All of us. And if you are here in this place and you understand that you are a sinner and you have never asked Jesus into your heart and life, all of these things that I'm talking about today are for naught if you do not accept Jesus as your Savior. And part of the difference of receiving Jesus as your Savior is recognizing that you are clothed differently. You look differently. And that has to do with realizing that we have been clothed with the robes of righteousness. So here's how I want you to help me, because I want to do a little illustrating of this. I want you to put on your robe today, okay? So I want everybody to go like this. I want you to go like this, and you're holding your robe, okay? You get your robe out, and you're using both hands with your robe. And then I want you to put your robe on, okay? Put it on over your shoulders, right? Okay, how, how's that feel? Does it feel pretty good? Fits all right, right? All right, uh, and uh, now I want you to look to your neighbor and say to them, this isn't imaginary, this is real. Some of you don't have neighbors, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, hey, this isn't imaginary. This is real. It's a real robe that we are wearing. Because of it, because of Jesus, you and I have access to God. We're clothed in righteousness. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you have been anointed to do God's work. Hear this. By the power of God's Spirit, you have been anointed to do the work of God. You have been anointed. You know, the Bible talks about earthly kings. When earthly kings came along, they were anointed. It tells us that when a priest took on the priestly office, they were anointed as well. And a prophet, a prophet, when a prophet would come along, a prophet would be anointed for the work that they're doing. And what the Bible says to us is that you and I are like little K kings. We are kings, we are priests, we are prophets. We are coming to God, not in our power, but when we come to God in prayer, we're coming with his power as a king, as a prophet, as a priest. And this is who you are. So if you are a little K king, you know that a king has a diadem, and the diadem is a small crown. So get your crown out. Get your crown. You got your robe on. Get your crown out. Everybody get your crown out. Now put your crown on your head. Okay. All right. Now you can tell your neighbor, I deserve this. Go ahead. Tell them, I deserve this. Go ahead. Say, I'm king or I'm queen, whatever you want to say, right? Yeah. And, And some of us are going, yeah, it's about time somebody acknowledged that I am a king, right? Now... You're a little K king, so you've got your crown on. Uh, the priests, maybe you're aware that a priest wears a hat also. It's called a mitre, and a mitre is basically a pointed little cap. So get your mitre out, all right? Get your mitre out and put it on your head. Okay, great. All right, okay. All right, looks pretty good. The mitres look pretty good over your crowns. They look, they look pretty good. So far, so good. Now, a prophet had a mantle. And a mantle was basically a cloth that they would put over their shoulders. And when they were speaking prophetically, often they would actually take some of that cloth and put it over their heads. So go ahead and take your, get your, grab your stole and put it over your shoulders and then put it over your head. And let me just say, you look pretty funny now. <laughs> I'm just saying, wish I had a picture of you because you look pretty funny now. Uh, but this exercise helps us be aware that the church is clothed in righteousness that you are a priest, that you are a king in God's eyes, that you are a prophet in God's eyes. So go ahead and take all your stuff off. Make sure you get it off now, right? And, and, and let's, let's finally remember that the last, one of the last things that the Bible says about us is in Revelation 3, it says, to him that overcomes, speaking about you and about me, to him or her who overcomes. How do we overcome? We overcome because of Jesus with Jesus in us. It also says in Revelation that every single person who is a follower of Jesus is emblazoned with God's name on them and the city to which you belong. Now you think about this. You, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a Christian, that you are emblazed with a the, with the name. It's across your forehead. It's across your body. It's across your life. When God looks at you, he says, that's one of my kids. You are a child of God. It says, child of God on your frame. When God looks at you. And it also says, it says child of God, but it also says heaven. Maybe on the backside. I don't know. It says heaven somewhere. When God looks at you, God sees that you are one of his kids and also that you belong to heaven. And it teaches us to remember that we need to always know whose we are. And if we know whose we are, then we have security about where we're going. 
And I don't know about you, but if I can be secure in who I am and know where I'm going, then all the other stuff begins to fade away. God has tagged you. God has tagged you with his name. God has tagged you with the name of heaven. Go ahead and say it. I'm tagged. Tell your neighbor, I'm tagged. Say, I'm proud to be tagged. There you go. We, uh, we can chuckle about being tagged a little bit, but let's, let's be clear about it, friends. This is not a joke. If you're here today and you're not labeled, if you're not tagged, I don't want to be insensitive to you. I don't want to sound harsh to you, but the Bible makes it pretty clear. If you're not labeled, you don't go to heaven. Heaven is the place where God lives. If you don't go to heaven, you go to the place where the evil one lives when you die. You and I are made to live eternally. We're either going to live eternally with God or without God, and the choice is up to you. It's not God saying, oh, I don't want you in heaven. God wants everybody in heaven. But the choice to go to heaven is about you and the choice that you make to accept Jesus into your life. Now, some of you, maybe somebody that's watching at home might be a little skeptical about all this. You might be thinking, well, I think there's another option, Frank, and the other option is that, that when we die, we die, and that's all that's nothing beyond the grave. And there are plenty of people around, plenty of people around that believe this. When you die, you die, and that's it. That's all there is. And from my, from my perspective, if you have this position that you're saying God is not real, from my perspective, it's kind of like going into your closet and pulling the door closed in your closet and getting in your closet and, and refusing to admit that the sun is out, that the light of the sun is out. You go into your closet, you close the door, as, as if, if you can be in the closet with the door closed, the sun coming up has not, not ever happened. And some of us like to play that little game where we pretend that God isn't real. But let's, let's be clear, friends. Almost 2,000 years ago, or right about 2,000 years ago, there was one man. His name was Jesus. He was sent by God. He lived. He died. He rose from the dead. And that man, Jesus, said, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe that if Jesus lives in you, you will never die? You see, it's about the decision that you have to make. You've got to make it. Nobody can make it for you. You don't get into heaven because you're a good person. You don't get into heaven because you've got the right hairstyle. You don't get into heaven because you're so good looking, even though you are. But it's all about what God has done for me. You get into heaven because I accept, because you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Once you're tagged, once you're labeled, you have a destiny beyond the grave. And what a gift that is. You see, there is, in my understanding, there is no such thing as reincarnation. You can't fix your bad karma by being reincarnated a bunch of times. The Bible says you got one life, this life here and the life that is to come. You don't get multiple chances on earth. You've got to decide. And that's why we celebrate quarterly here at Lighthouse baptisms. Uh, on November the 17th, we're going to have another baptism Sunday, and we'll get out our our baptismal pool that looks a little bit like a hot tub, but it's a baptismal pool we have here on Sunday morning. And on the 17th of November, we're going to do baptisms again. If you have never committed your life to Jesus Christ and, and you're ready to do it today or ready to do it tomorrow, whenever you do it, please know we want to celebrate with you. 
We want to celebrate that you've made the most important decision you can make in your entire life to become a follower of Jesus. So I pray that you will come and be baptized. So when the church gathers to pray, it's labeled, it's clothed, it's mantled, it's mitered, it's crowned. And because of that, the power of God overflows. The room shook. The people got shook up in the best way possible. And I want to invite you today to think about your foundation. I want you to to think about being a designated hitter, about recognizing that you need a new foundation, and to remember that you're tagged by this amazing God that we love. So I want to conclude our thinking about prayer with another directed prayer. And a directed prayer is simply a prayer in which I will say a line and then you pray it after I say it. Okay, we're just kind of a responsive prayer time. Uh, And I want to invite you, I'm going to be your teacher for a moment. I want to invite you to sit up straight in your chairs. I want you to, uh, uh, if you're willing to be open, to, to simply open your hands, you can put them in front of you. You can put them on your legs if you want as a symbol of being open to God. Let's be clear, there's nothing magical about opening your hands. It's just a reminder to ourselves that we want to be open to God. And I want to invite all of you watching on the live stream to do the same. Put yourself in a position of prayer and then join me in prayer responsively. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, shake me up. You called me to live in faith, to believe what you have said, to pray for others, to give stuff less room in my heart. Shake up my dreams, shake up my apathy. Shake up my predetermined views of who you are. Shake up my excuses. Shake up my self-imposed limitations. Shake up my dependency on my strength. I give you total access, Holy Spirit. Shake me, Father. Lead me to seek you before any other. Give me boldness and confidence beyond the natural. Rattle my doubts with belief. Tumble down my excuses as you ask me to step out in faith. Take my eyes off my own capabilities. And let me place my trust in yours. I often focus on who I am or what I have to offer when all along all I need is you. All I need is you. All I need is you. Shake up my heart as I reach for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we're going to.